Okay, good morning, everyone. All right, so we're going to go inside today, but let's first finish kind of, basically finish the introduction that we started yesterday. We are learning about tests, according to Hasidus, Nisyanus, right? This week, we learned about Avram's tests and about Akedus. Yitzchak, his final, most difficult test. And we're trying to understand a little bit about what, what is the purpose of a test, what's the function of a test, what's the form and expression of a test. So we were discussing until now that there are four main um, ways that we interact with and elevate the world, right? And four main purposes by which, for which the soul comes down into this world to do. So we started off with Torah and Mitzvahs. We said that that accomplishes Yechudim. It brings more light into the world, specifically into Atzillus. And we said that that happens through expanding the vessels, which allow more light to shine. That's represented by L'Shem Yechud Kutshebrichu Shechinte Yachadov. That we unify together the Shechina and Kutshebrichu and Hashem together, Hashem's light, into a unified way. Kutshebrichu Yachadov, together. Then we spoke about Avaita Sabirurim. Is when we deal with Klippas Neiga, when we elevate and refine the world around us by extracting the sparks that fell from the world of Tohu into the physical into the physical world, and through elevating it, through making a bracha, through having the right intention, when we use it, through knowing Hashem in all of our ways, and through doing mitzvahs with physical things, we accomplish Avaida Sabirurim. We end up getting an elevation when we elevate something through a mitzvah and the physical object itself gets elevated as well. So we're elevating the world, the object that we're um, that we're using, right? That we're in touch with, as well as ourselves, as well as ourselves in the process. Then we said we have gimel klippas atmeas. We have the three unclean clippers which are invested within the physical world in a way that is asur, right? We're not allowed to deal with it. It's too tied down. The way we deal with that in avodat habirurim and we elevate it is by staying away, right? But if we didn't stay away and we did interact in this physical world in a way that was asur, that was tied down, when we do teshuva, that teshuva actually extracts that spark that was tied down in a way that it's able to be raised up. It's a more powerful spark and in the process, the what happens within ourselves, the process of teshuva, is, raises us up even higher than avodas habirurim, right? Um, that was the three levels we discussed at length last week. And then we started to speak about Nisyonis. Nisyonis is the fourth level. And there are places in Chassidus that say that the entire purpose for which the soul descended into a body into this world is for Nisyonis. And Nisyonis is not something that we come across every day. When we think of a challenge, almost all the challenges and struggles and hardships that we could think of are not actually Nisyonis. They fall into the category more of Avaidas things that we have to overcome, but they're not impossible. So, so far within the, within the three levels we spoke about, the light is, is, there's light. Just depends how tied down it is and how revealed it is, right? Um, when we talk about Nisyonis, there's no light at all. There's just black. There's just darkness. So, first of all, that begs a question. What's the question? If there's no light, if there's no godly light within whatsoever, what's the question? If I would say to you, like, what, are you revealing? There's, there's what are you revealing? 
How does it exist? Right? If I would say to you, this phone right here, everything else has got a piece of light that's bringing it into being. Bless you. This phone is no light, just dark. Well, then how's it here? Right? Because everything is God. And the answer is it actually doesn't exist. It's just an illusion. And therefore, the only way that you're able to overcome an Isayan is through treating it as if it doesn't exist. You cannot engage with it in a logical way, in a strategic way, because there is no logic there. There is no spark to extract from this situation. The only thing that gets an elevation when confronting an Isayan, when confronting complete black darkness, is the person himself. If he's able to overcome it, he gets an elevation, and an elevation on a higher way than any other level that we described so far. But the thing itself doesn't get elevated, it just disappears. It gets shown for what it really is, which is that it doesn't exist. And the example that we brought is that in this week's Parsha, it's brought that on the way, when, Yaak, when um, Avram was on the way for Akedah Sitzchak, which was an Isayan, there was no logical way through this problem whatsoever. Only just by Yashkim Avram Avram woke up in the morning, he went to do it. Yeah. But that, you said like there's, the darkness isn't elevated, so it just stays there? It just disappears. Um, what so happens to darkness? Like exactly. That's the, what I was about to say, that when he was walking and then the Satan brought a sea in front of him. That's an Isayan. What are you supposed to do? Hashem told you to do something, but it's impossible to do what Hashem told you to do. You go straight through. And... And it's the most difficult of all of these challenges, right? It's, it's, it's scenarios that are just impossible, right? And we were speaking about Soviet Russia. It was impossible to serve Hashem and to live as a Jew in Soviet Russia. It was impossible. It was impossible to live. It was possible to die as a Jew, right? It wasn't possible to live as a Jew. And the truth is that all of the Rabbanim and the Gedolei Yisrael who lived there, what did they do? They left. They said, this, this, is too, this is not possible. And they were right. The Frieda Gerber said, we are going to do the impossible. How? By pretending it doesn't exist. This mimer that we're learning is actually brought, it's a Yud-based Thomas mimer, which is the day that the Frieda Gerber was freed from prison. Um, that's the context of why we're speaking about nisyanus and challenges and things that are, that are black and the way you overcome them is by treating them as if they don't exist. We're learning it because of this week's Parsha and, and, and the nisyanus of Avram. But the time, um, the time in the year that this mimer was brought is in connection to the Frida Kareba and it's based on a mimer of the Frida Kareba. If you look at this, the way, the, the Frida Kareba wrote diaries and he told many stories and he describes his experience in prison. He treated the gods, he treated all of the people as if they didn't exist. Like, I'm going to get my tefillin or I'm not going to eat. Like, they, there's a story that they put a gun to his head. They put a gun to his head and they said, this gun has made many people, um, many strong people weak and many people talk. And he said, uh, what did the free crab reply? Does anyone know? This is the famous response. He said, I, you have two gods and one world. I have two worlds and one God. I'm not afraid of your toy. And that is how he approached Soviet Russia. Like, we're going to do Brisson. We're going to teach children. We're going to make sure that Yiddishkeit is able to flourish in every which way 
at any cost. We're going to pretend that this doesn't, this regime doesn't exist. And guess what? It ended up not existing. Soviet, Soviet like the, the, the communist Russia, as it was known, one day just fell apart. But just fell apart. what about engaging with this, um, like, ultimate evil? I'm saying, like, I feel very, like, I don't know, it's, it's very, like, it's not related, but it's very what goes on my mind. And, um, like, there was, yesterday there was, like, the first, like, pogrom from the in, the, in the history, like, since, uh, you know, since the beginning of the 20th century, one of the republics that is very massively populated, people started to harass people started to find, like, try to find Eden in the, like, hotels, um, they, like, Ru- Russians or, or, like, Russians. Muslims? Russians. Yeah, but they're Russian Muslims. Russian Muslims, wow. And, like, this is a beautiful one of the, one, it is, like, one of the, like, modern time groans. In the meantime, when, like, the chief rabbi of Russia is going and, like, speaking with um, the president of this country, that doesn't have any interest in protecting like the Yiran or doing anything about this. like he doesn't care and still he he like engages with this. So like, yeah, it's, it's that's more of like a, like a political kind of question of like where Russia is holding today, and I don't no, know I enough about it to get into it. That's the truth. I feel like I, don't. I feel like so many people feel betrayed yeah. by like by doing this because <laughs> it's like. Like you can engage with the evil, however, like however many times you want. It's not gonna, it's not gonna transform itself. You're not gonna, like bring this, like bring a person for the to an understanding of like, yeah, I'm doing something wrong. Like if a person is doing something like this, like <laughs> obviously you know, it's like he's doing like it's yeah. not. You cannot ignore this. Um, so I'm like it's it's so it's so like it's so complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. You know when it's not complicated is Amalek. Right? When the Torah tells, teaches us about Amalek. The Torah says, Amalek, you don't fight them. You don't negotiate with them. You don't engage. You have to kill every single member of Amalek. Because that is how we deal with evil is that we have to just get rid of it totally. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very... The truth, again, an Isaiah in most of us, at least I'll talk about myself, I've never had an Isaiah before. Like, an, like, like a challenge that's just impossible. I remember this story, learning this in a shir, from I remember being from the Gemara. I haven't been able to find it. I asked just yesterday to look for it. He couldn't find it. So like maybe it's I dreamed this story. But I remember hearing it in a shir. So I'm going to repeat it to you because I think that this describes like just this idea of an Isaiah. It's like an impossibility that Hashem places in front of you that there's no rational solution to figure it out. And if anybody can find the source of this Gemara, I'll, I'll give you 50 shekel, like I promise, because I've been looking for it. I can't find it anyway. Um, there was a, there was a, a guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I need to ask her. Maybe you guys, is she teaching here today? No. Ask her. Because it must exist. I, I'm sure I heard it in a shear. Like I didn't, anyway. I'll share it with you, if, if not just to make the point. <laughs> um, that there was a, a man who was a very righteous, holy, religious man. And he ended up um, desiring to be with this woman who was married. So she was completely prohibited to him. 
and he was completely overwhelmed with his desire to be with her and he knew he couldn't to the point that he got sick right this term lovesick it's actually a thing like he became physically extremely extremely ill he was bedridden he was dying he was dying and there was nothing that he could do right so this woman her husband was actually the doctor of the town and he needed to send this guy medications but he was in the middle of doing something so he told her you need to go and drop these medications off by him he's going to he needs to take these medications and she said how can you I can't go, like, can't go there. I said, no, no, you have to go. Like, I, we don't have a choice, you have to go. So she went and she brought the medications to him and he became completely, obviously, overwhelmed and frenzied. And then she told him, I don't know exactly what she told him, but something like, if you can overcome this, you can overcome, like, you, you can overcome anything. And he held himself back and from when she left, he never, he completely never, like, desired her again or was ill again. Um... If anyone could verify the story, I would appreciate it. <laughs> but this is, when I think of a new sign, I remember this story. Because, because, like, what is this guy supposed to do? He's dying, right? And the only thing that could fix someone who's lovesick is, is the thing that he's after, that he's desirous of. And there's no way around that. There's no way he could do that. None, right? Can't be like David and send him to the front lines and figure something out, right? So he was dying. He, he was dying. Like, what are you supposed... So he, like, and then... And even more impossibly, that she showed up in his house, could have, you know, like, what do you, that's an impossible, that's an impossible challenge. And the moment that he didn't give in to it, the desire disappeared, the challenge disappeared. And, and so this mimer is going to discuss this idea at length and explain it and speak about the essence that is drawn out of us when we're confronted with a desire, with, a, with an isayan with an impossible task and explains the difference between Avodah Sabirurim and between Nisyanis, between challenges. So just wanted to give you a bit of that introduction. And now we're going to go and we're going to repeat some of the things that we've said, but see it in the Rebbe's words and also with a lot more, with a lot more context as well. Okay. Any questions or comments on what we said yesterday or, or today, which was just finishing that introduction? Good? Okay. I didn't give them out or I did give them out? Yeah. I did. Okay. So there's more for... I'm going to learn it with the Shlachas later. Okay. Let's get into it. So this is from Tafshin Yudalif, which is 1951, the first year of the Rebbe's Nesias. It says, Beis HaMachdalet, Bisyata Deshmaya, which means with the help of Hashem. Yud Beis Tamas, Tafshin Yudalif, the 12th of Tamas, which was the day of the celebration that we celebrate the day that the Friedrich Rebbe was released from prison, from his absolutely impossible test. And I have a lot of stories when it comes to this idea, like from the Rebbe as well. So I'll, I'll probably just add it in as we, instead of giving it all to you, I want to add in as we're learning. So then it says, Hanacha Bilti Muga, which means a version that was not edited. Okay. Um, the Rebbe, I think, later ed- did edit this mimer um, and added it together with two other mimer into a very, very long one in Lamed Vav. But so it says that this is unedited. Okay. We're going to bring a pasuk now from Tehillim. Okay, which speaks about Nisyanus from chapter 60. Nosata lire echa, I have given to those who fear you. Nes lehisnoises, so we said the word nes could mean to run away, it could mean a banner, it could mean a miracle. And you guys said that it can mean, what did you tell me that nes also? A punishment. So here we're going to translate it as a challenge, as a Nisoyan. Neis lehisnoi says, a challenge nehisnoi says to be raised up like a banner. Mepnei kaishet sela, 
in front of you, Sela means forever. And my father-in-law brought Bahamimer in his Mimer, which was sent to Russia, and it's still printed there. He brings a unique explanation and a translation for this Pasuk. And this is the idea, uh, which he translated as a challenge, uh, a, not a challenge, uh, an impossible test, a test to, be, to raise you up. What does this mean? Umavar, and he explains. Shekei al ha'avayda de Mesiris Nefesh. This is referring to the avayda, the service of Mesiris Nefesh, of self-sacrifice. Be'inyane nisyayinus dafka, specifically when it comes to tests, impossible tests. Shenatinas l'bnei Yisrael, which are given to the Jewish people, k'dei bahim, in order to activate within them, inyan shal the idea of being raised up. So leis neis lehis noises means a challenge, a, a test to raise you up. The only reason it is given is to raise the Jewish people up. And we see within this concept of tests a difference between this final galus, galus zeacharon, this final galus. Are you familiar that we're, there were five exiles? The exile, the first exile of the Jewish people was Egypt. The second one was Babel. The third one was... Rome? No, that's the fourth one. We're still no, in the fourth um, one. Yeah, yeah. I missed one. Greece? Greece. No. Yavon. Galus Yavon? No? no? Assyria. It's for sure not Greece. Okay, now I have to check. I know there's for sure four and we're in the fourth one. Mitzrayim. Bavel. I'll check the third one. I think it's Greece, but I could be wrong. And then Rome is the last one, which we're still in. From the time that the Romans destroyed the second basic dish until now, we're still in the same, this same Galus. So this final Galus is different from all of the previous Galus in the way of Nisyanus. Why? Because there are many concealments and coverings. Many. And there are many what's the difference there's many challenges what's the difference between now and then that then when the Yidden had a challenge we're going to see they gave up they said this is impossible which is true which was true Shem gave them impossible tests and they said this is impossible when we're faced with impossible tests more impossible tests than any other Jew and any other goddess has been faced with we are able to raise up to be raised up as we're going to see Obemis and the truth is this in itself who Hayra'a is an instruction, al hakayach vaha'ais, on the strength and the might, shenitan milamala, which was given from above, lakol echad ve'echad, to every single one of us, sheyoichal la'amayd benisoyen, to be able to withstand tests. Vezeu yisoren hakayach vaha'ais, this is the additional and the advantage of the strength and the might, shenitan begolos ha'acharayin, which was given to us in this final galus, al galus Mitzrayim, over the exile in Mitzrayim. Shahita Shairish Lakola Galias. The first exile of Egypt was the source for all exiles. What's the difference between our exile and the exile of Mitzrayim? To Begalus Mitzrayim Ksib. About the exile of Mitzrayim, it's written, Velay Shamo, 
that they did not listen to the voice of Moshe who was speaking in the name of Hashem. Why? Because their spirit had been completely, they had no more spirit left and they were burdened by hard work. They were facing impossible challenges. And this only confused them. So in Mitzrayim, they were faced with impossible tests. And we know that when we learn about the suffering and the challenge of Golas Mitzrayim. It was, it was impossible to hear the voice of Hashem through Moshe in that time. And it was actually impossible. When Moshe came and he spoke to them and he told them, one of Hashem told him to tell them, they couldn't hear him. They couldn't hear him. They couldn't raise themselves up because of the Nisayan that they were facing. Moshe Enken, however, this is not the case in this exile. Because we've been given the power and the strength to recognize the truth. What's the truth? These are just tests. These aren't real. This is not the truth. And the Friedrich Rebbe continues to explain. This is a summary of Friedrich Rebbe's Mimer speaking about tests to explain what is in his science. Does everyone have the place inside? Yeah? Let me know if you lose it and I can just tell you where we are. Shehanisoyan who, what is Nisoyan? Shehanitsitsolaki, that the spark of godliness, who muster vanelam biyaiser, is completely concealed. Tihine, which means, inyan hanisoyan, this concept of tests, enok moshar dvarim gashmiyam, is not like any other physical thing, hamitbarim, which we need to refine. Because when we refine something, we do it in a way of dealing directly by him with the thing, that through it, we refine the spark, and it goes up to be included and one with God again. So what is a birur? We deal directly, we engage directly with that thing. And by doing so, we raise up the spark and it goes up to its source to be included with God. And as a result, we get an elevation as well. This is not the case when it comes to tests. That the way that we refine tests, it's not by dealing directly with the thing. It's by the person dealing with himself. Because the Nisoyan does not exist as itself. The Nisoyan, the test, the challenge, does not have any form, any true form that needs to be revealed, that needs to be elevated. The only purpose of this test was to stand in the way and to prevent this person from doing something. That's its only purpose and its only existence. And therefore, because of this, all of the work that the person needs to do in this case is with himself. To arouse the infinite essential power that exists within him. To the point that he cancels out all of the things that are in his way. To the point that the challenge, the Nisayin, disappears. And then the parentheses say, as was explained in the beginning of the Friedrich Rebbe's Mimer.
What's the point? And we see that specifically in this final exile, a darkness that is a double, triple darkness, where we find ourselves in the heels of Mashiach, in the ultimate darkness. It's the end of the concealment, right? Something the blood the blackest come on i'm sure it's a song lyric the blackest time of night is right before the dawn or something has anyone heard that the darkest time of night is right before the dawn the darkest darkest period in history is right before the light right before mashiach so we find ourselves with the most concealments and the most tests and the reason we find ourselves with the most tests is because we're on we're about to go into mashiach so the darkness that comes right before the light and because we find ourselves here it was given to the Jewish people of this generation a power so that they don't get overwhelmed and overpowered by the tests. And therefore, through this, how do we do this? By awakening the essential power that we have within us. The strength within ourselves. And the bitl within ourselves. And then automatically. The test gets cancelled out. And it's as if it never was. And I keep thinking about. Not only that this fits with this week's Parsha obviously. And with, with Avram. And, and just to appreciate the test that he actually faced. He, Ten impossible tests. And he never ever gave up and he somehow drew from within himself. But also what we see going on right now, right? It's really relevant to what's going on right now. We're facing a, a darkness that we haven't faced in a very, very long time. And um, we're reacting in a way that we haven't reacted in a very long time by, a, a, by pulling out strength from within ourselves that we maybe even didn't know that we had. And that's actually the way that you, that you get rid of the Nisoy. And the Rebbe said this again and again and again. Um, it's not, a, not only a physical war. Obviously, we need soldiers. But every single one of us, by raising ourselves up, we make that darkness disappear, right? So it's just something really to think about. I remember right at the beginning, um, the day on Sunday, right, right after... Simchas Torah and, and Yossi was saying, we need to learn, we need to do, we need to do this. And I was just like, no, we need to, we need to cry. Like, we need to, we need to find out whose fault it is. Like, this should never have happened. And, and uh, we were having this whole argument. And he was just like, uh, he kept bringing this pasuk that if Hashem doesn't God a, a city, then there's no point in even being a God. If Hashem wants, um, and he was saying like, this is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing that we have to react in a spiritual way. And I was like, really... At the time, you're so angry, right? And you're like, how could this have happened? You know, this is the, not only this is Eretz Yisrael, okay? I'm a citizen of this country, right? And I live in this country and such a thing could happen in my country. Like, no, like, I need to be, I need to find who to blame and change things and, right? Like, and, and, and Yassi was right. I wasn't able to see it at the time, but that you don't deal with darkness through logic. You don't deal with darkness through logic. There's no logic here. You have to, be illogical. And it's actually illogical to be a Jew right now living in, in Israel, okay? It's illogical. You should all be on a flight far away from here. Maybe not to Russia, maybe not even to America, but I don't know, maybe South Africa or something. Um, <laughs> go to Montenegro. I'm going to Montenegro soon. I'm sure that it's great for the Jews there. No one's out to get us. That's a logical response, but we're not doing that. We're continuing to openly be Jews in a land that is clearly like 
a target, right? Um, and we're doing that because we're not responding with logic. We're responding with the truth. And we're drawing that truth out from within ourselves. And that's actually the only way that the threat will disappear and we'll see that it was as, as if it never, never was. So we're going to now continue with what I started off yesterday reading about um, Avaida Sabirurim. What's the difference between Avaida Sabirurim and between the Nisayan? Okay, so we can truly understand a little bit more about the way that Nisayan works and the way that we can overcome them. Um, so if Aleph is good, yeah? Okay, so let's go to base. Page 180, base. Obir ha'inyan. To explain this. Dihine. Bekol Avaida. In every service... Whether we're talking about the service of refining the world, so whether we're talking about tests, there are three things. The thing that needs to be worked on. So every time we're working, there's three things. There's the thing that needs to be refined and elevated or that needs work. The second is the Jew. Sha'alav Hutla Avaida, who was, this work was placed upon him. And then the third thing is, the way that you go about doing this Avaida, im hadavar, with this thing, hamit barer, that needs to be refined, or with this thing, that has enclosed itself in the form of a test. So there are three things when it comes to, when it comes to confronting something and, serve and, and doing your work. Number one, there's the thing that needs to be refined, that needs to be elevated, that needs to be dealt with. Number two, there's the person that has been designated to have this challenge. And number three is the way about which he goes to uplift himself and that thing. Okay? And in all three of these things, there is a difference between the service, the job which is called Avaidas Abirurim, refinement, to the Avaida that is called the Avaida of tests. So there, these three components exist in both. There's the person, there's the thing he's confronted with, there's the way he overcomes it. All three are different, whether we're talking about Avaidas Abirurim or whether we're talking about Nisyonas. So first, let's see what's going on. With birurim, dehine avodas habirurim. What happens when we do avodas habirurim? When we do refinement with klipas naiga, he ba'ayfen shemavarim etanitzutz. It's in a way where we refine the spark sheyeshnoi b'mitziyota that exists shel hadavar that exists in the form of the thing hamit barer gufa that's actually being refined. So when it comes to avodas habirurim, there's the thing that you're refining. What are we doing? We're extracting the spark from that thing that is being refined. This is not the case when it comes to the service of Nisyainas. Because the thing that is taken up the form of a test, it doesn't have any sense of existence. It doesn't exist. As we said above, that the Nisoyan, the test, is not something in and of itself. Its only existence is that it's standing to conceal and to prevent. Nevertheless, since 
there is here this idea of an Israel. Since there is something that you can tangibly see in front of you as a preventative thing, we have to say that it has to have some sort of spark of Kedusha. Here, the Rebbe is contradicting every single Rebbe that comes before him when it comes to Nisyanus, okay? And the Rebbe used to do this. <laughs> like, nope, this is not the case. Before this mimer, any time that I spoke about Nisyanus tests, it doesn't exist. It has no spark of godliness whatsoever within it. The Rebbe here is saying the fact that it does exist in some way, right? There's a brick wall in front of you. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. It's, it's blocking you. There's a brick wall in front of you. If that there's a brick wall in front of you, even if it's an Isaiah, it has to have some spark of Kedusha. That's what the Rebbe says. Key, because Lulei Nitzitz Kedusha, without some sort of holiness, it wouldn't even be able to have any sorts of existence, even just in a way of imagination, to conceal and to prevent. So the truth is, an Isaiah is an illusion. It's an illusion that says, I am here to stop you. And the moment you break that illusion, the thing that is stopping you disappears. But the Rebbe is saying the fact that it exists even as an illusion means that it must have some sort of spark within it. Okay, and again, this is, this is not the way you're going to see Nisyan is described in, by any other Rebbe. And we can see even what was brought in this mimer, when it comes to the idea of an Isayan, as it says, the, in the Golas of Egypt, they did not hear, they were not able to hear the voice of Hashem because of their lowered spirits and their hard work. Shehare, because we see, even in this example of an Isayan, that the Jewish people faced a test in Egypt, that they had backbreaking labor, that they had in Egypt, we know that within that backbreaking labor and that slavery and that terrible place of Egypt, there were quite a few sparks of holiness that were in exile in Egypt, which were refined and elevated at the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So the Rebbe is bringing a proof for his claim, because again, this claim is not one that's been made before. And the proof is even in Egypt, which we know was an impossible test, it was impossible to serve God and to hear God's voice, even, in the, in, even when Moshe spoke it, because of the impossible test that they faced. But the Rebbe says that we can't say there was no, there's no sparks there even in that test because we know that it says that the Jewish people left Egypt with many riches. And it's explained the many riches represent many sparks of godliness that they actually took out of there. And it's actually explained that they took all the sparks of holiness out of Egypt. And that is why there's actually the Kabbalistic explanation for the halacha that you're not allowed to go back to Egypt. Has anyone heard of this halacha before? You're not allowed to go back to Egypt. The Rambam, no? Yeah? The Rambam lived in Egypt and he used to sign everything, all of his works, all of his letters. The man who is, who is being over three love him every single day that he's, by the fact that he's living in Egypt. He had to live in Egypt. for. They would be, he had to run away from persecution and he ended up going to Egypt. But he would sign every single thing. that but Signed by the man who is being over three who is, like, who is transgressing three commandments every day by living in Egypt. 
And the Kabbalah of the idea, why can't we ever go back to Egypt, is because there's no, there's no work left there to do for us. Because the Jewish people emptied out all of the sparks that needed to be refined and elevated through the exile. They took it out. And um, yeah, halakhically, practically today, I don't know. If somebody plans to go to Egypt, like I know lots of people who do go. I'm sure you can consult with rabbis and find out like practically what, um, what that looks like today. Egypt. Yeah. Currently, I know. Not, I no, know, not currently. There was a huge in the time of Bavel when the Yidden lived in Bavel. At yeah. the same time, there was a huge Jewish community in Alexandria and Egypt. Yeah. Huge. None of them. None. They were all wiped out. None of them came back. No, but I'm none of them like, came back to Eretz Yisrael. Who lived there? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so that's what I'm saying. Halakhically, today, um, it's possible. I'm sure it's possible to get sort of, some sort of heterim. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I've never tried to go. I don't personally have decided to go to Egypt. But um, I know of many rabbis who have been to Egypt and things. So, like, I'm saying, I know this halakha exists. I don't know what the practical application of that halakha looks like today. So, Is there a Chabad there? Or? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think that there is a Chabad there. But it's also symbolic to Egypt, is symbolic to our mindset, right? And it's so, as a convert, you once you've converted, you're, you'll never go back. Right. So it's also a That's interesting. To, um, that we became born as a nation. And how you used to live and how you used to think. And, and once you've done that, you can't go back. So it, That's it's a very interesting it's point. It's like on the psychological level. Yes. It's right, it's not a place though. Like, the is, is an eternal state. Right, right. Yeah. So it's a place to, but but yes, for today, obviously, we we have the Mitzrayim within ourselves. Mitzrayim from Mitzarim. Mitzarim means boundaries, like it's things that block us. Right. It's one of the tops again. No, but I mean, I'm saying it's, it's the same thing just as like going back to Germany. To see ourselves as a thing. Like going, going back to Germany, there are so many even who wouldn't go back to Germany because right. they, do, they, they would think that um, they avoid us, that was supposed to be. My, my great-grandfather was from Poland, and he used to say that the Poles were worse than the Germans. He, like, yeah, yeah. And he they, once they had an emergency landing in Poland, and he refused to get off the plane. He had an emergency landing in Poland, he said, I'm not getting off the plane, I'm staying here, I'm not getting off until... So they had to fix everything, and he was on the plane, he refused. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so then that goes more to the psychological kind of element of it. Obviously, there's no halakhic ramifications there. Um, and again... I, I know of rabbis who have gone to Egypt. For, there's there's peop, very great um, people who are buried um, there as well, and and so um, yeah, that's uh, th- that, that's like a thing to discuss with your rough to find out if that's something that's relevant for you if you want to go. Um, but but on a on a kabbalistic level, it's because it's explained that when the Jews left, it says they emptied out. We're going to see it inside. They emptied out Egypt like emptying out all the fish from the sea. Like, they took everything out, everything that was of any value. And on a spiritual level, that means they took every single spark that had fallen from the Shvera Sakhalim, from the world of Tayo, into this physical place called Egypt. They emptied it out when they left. So the Rebbe is saying, there must be some sort of spark, even though it's just an illusion. As it says, that, that they turned Egypt into a place like a... Like a I think this means like a field without any grain, or kamatsula she'ein badagim, and like a an ocean without any fish. Dahaina, which means shehotziot kol hanitzotot akdusha she'ayusham. 
it's the second last line on page 180, that they, they took out all of the holy sparks that were there. Hello. However, we know that the spark of holiness that is hidden within a test who behelen the hester it's in the ultimate state of concealment to the point that that spark has turned black. There's no way out of it. There's no revelation there. There's no, oh, maybe this is a good thing. It's like, no, this is just black. I don't see God here. And this is the reason why the main place where we find ourselves facing tests, is in this final exile where we find ourselves on the heels of Mashiach. Because then we need to refine the smaller sparks and the final ones. So all the big sparks, we've had over 2,000 years to find them, to extract them, to reveal them, all of that which was overtly godly. And now we're stuck with such tiny, tiny shards of remnants of sparks that they're so concealed that we find ourselves facing tests. A test means there's, there's light there, but it is so tiny and it is so covered over that we only see it as darkness. And that's why in this exile, we find ourselves facing many tests because the sparks that are left are so small that it's... It, they, they display themselves and express themselves in the form of a test. Um, can I ask a question? Sure. Are the sparks that were referred here the same as the 288 sparks? Yes. So it's always a question, right? Because 288, um, and it said that 210 of them were put into Egypt, um, and that the, the 210 years of slavery there, they refined those, and there's only 70 around the world. Um, so... They seem, those, for what I understand, those are general sparks that then broke up into many, 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 many more. And I always, I never know exactly how to fit this together with the fact that the Rebbe said there are no more sparks to refine. Mashiach is ready to come. Like, all the work has been done and Mashiach is ready. Now all that's left is that we demand him, um, demand for him to come. But yes, it's referring to those sparks which seemingly split up into way, way, way more tinier ones and were spread all over. The concealment that covers over these smocks is even greater because they're so, so small. And this means that the spark of holiness that exists in a test it's enclosed and it's swallowed up in the covering over and the concealment so much to the point it doesn't shine at all. The dark, the light has turned black. So we can't even call it light. To the point that it said, that this spark itself has become dark. And according to the halachic term, that this piece of kosher meat has become non-kosher. There's a halacha that if, um, it's brought in the Gemara, that if, that if um, a certain piece of purely, totally kosher meat comes into contact with a piece of non-kosher meat, then this kosher piece of meat becomes non-kosher. So it's the idea that this spark, this light becomes darkness. And this is the difference between the thing that's being refined to the thing that's expressing itself as a test. When we're talking about something that needs to be refined, 
Yesh nitzutz, there's a spark there. Sheyachaylem lekreisa b'shem nitzutz are that we can actually call an expression a spark of light. Kevan shehu ba'afen shal are because it's actually in a way of light. It's just covered over. Mashe'en ken b'nisayin. This is not the case with the test. Shaloy nesharm ha'nitzutz the only thing that remains from the spark is its existence, but not its ex- existence as it shines and it, as it reveals itself. Because all of the other things, aside from its essence of existing, is as if this piece of kosher meat became unkosher. The spark expresses itself through darkness. It's that covered over. I know we're ending on a little bit of a negative note for today, but we're going to see how this actually affords us the absolute greatest opportunities and that the more we can know and truly believe that these aren't true, that the darkness doesn't exist, the easier we'll be able to overcome it and the quicker as well. So we'll continue inside um, inside tomorrow. And again, I know we, we <laughs> it might be a bit heavy now, but, but it's going to get better, I promise. Okay, Ooh, so have a great cool. day.